0: If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to the book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. One of the historical books of the Old Testament. As we enter into our 714 focus week of prayer starting tonight, people ask me, Pastor, where did you get the 714? Well, we're going to look at that right now, out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Let me set the stage. The children of Israel are in their land and they've been given a a kingdom. And David has ruled as king and he's passed on that throne to his son Solomon. And Solomon's had the privilege to build a temple for the Lord's glory. And God's glory comes and fills that place. And as God's glory fills the place, the people of God sing him praises and give him glory. And then God appears to Solomon, the king. And I want you to hear his instructions. So look at verse 12. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, pray, And seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. God gives the children of Israel some instruction as they begin to worship him at that place in Jerusalem. And he gives them a scenario and he says, if you rebel against me. And because of your rebellion and sin, I have to send droughts and pestilence and plague and and I, I have to come and judge you for your sin. If I come and convict you with that, then there is a way back to me. And verse 14 is that way that God says you can come back into fellowship with me. So I want to use that as we look at preparing our hearts for this 714 focus week of prayer. And really it is our church coming together like we do once a year for a whole week to do what Solomon was told to do, to cry out to God. Because as we look at our land, it's in a mess. And we need God's help. And so we begin to cry out to him. Three things that should happen when the people of God pray. We're just going to walk through these this morning. The first thing, as we come to prayer, we need to calculate the cost. Number one, calculate the cost. God says to Solomon and to the people of God and to us today that we should calculate the cost of really coming before God and praying for a move of God. Do you really want God to work? Do you really want God to move? Do you really want his activity in our midst? Then you need to calculate the cost. So we're gonna walk through four things that he told them they were to do. The first one is to humble themselves. So number one, I must ask myself this question. Am I willing to humble myself? Verse 14. By the way, he mentions in verse 13, if I send these things. So verse 14, the if is implied if my people, who are called by my name, that's the people of God, will humble themselves. To humble yourself very simply means this. To acknowledge that God is God and we're not. To acknowledge that I am not the center of the universe. To acknowledge that I'm not on the throne of my life. I am not the boss of me. I, I am not the boss. God is. That's what humility is. Humility is not, I'm a, I'm a total reject, I'm a worm, and, and nobody's going to love me, everybody hates me, that's not humility. That's a false humility. Genuine humility says God loves me, he's created me, I'm, I'm worthy of his affection, but he's worthy of my praise, but when I come before him, because of Christ, I'm worthy of that. And I recognize that he's God and I'm not. Am I willing to humble myself? Am I willing to, to say, God, this week, this week, as this church prays, Him, I willing to say, God, I'm I'm going to set myself aside and I'm going to set my schedule aside and I'm going to set my plans and my agenda aside and it's all going to be about you. Someone asked, how do you start a revival? And I don't remember who it was, some preacher from generations back. He said, you draw a circle and you say, God, I want you to move in that circle. I want you to do something in that circle. And then you step in the circle and say, God, here I am. Another another great uh, preacher of years past said, revival is God's finger pointing at me. I like to say it better this way. Revival is the spotlight of God shining on my life so that all the junk is revealed. Are you ready for that? That's a scary thing. To say, God, here I am, as I am, speak to me. That's humility. Second truth, I need to earnestly pray for a move of God so I ask myself the question will I this week earnestly pray for a move of God if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray in verse 14. To pray is to talk to God one of our men after the the early service this morning by the way just a commercial there is lots of room in the early service there are plenty of parking places in the early service Uh, it's just as good right? Those of you who made it to the early service today, some of them come to both just because it's so good. There's room, just a commercial. But after the early service, one of our men approached me and said, Pastor, how do you pray? Is that a good question? Why would somebody who goes to this church ask that? Because they've heard others pray, and sometimes when we pray, we don't actually pray normal and natural. It's like we have to be super spiritual to do it. He said, you know, when I talk to God, I just talk to him. What am I supposed to be doing? I said, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You just talk to God. When we talk about revival, it's earnestly talking to God. It's saying, God, I'm I'm coming to you with my whole heart. You don't have to have flowery, churchy words. It's from the heart. Will I earnestly seek God? Will I earnestly pray for a move from God? During this week of prayer, we gather every night at 6.30. We start tonight... And then it goes through the week. Monday night we meet and we pray for missions. We're going to pray, go to different stations in the building here and pray for our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our ends of the earth. And we'll give you a prayer guide that shows you what to pray. And we'll just pray sentence prayers. You'll be with a small group, and you don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. And Our prayers are not long and lengthy. We might just stop at a prayer station and, and say, God, I, I, I pray for those people who are trying to reach... Our state for Christ. Give them open doors and opportunities. That's simple. And then we'll go to another station. We'll do that Monday night, then Tuesday night and Wednesday night we pray for our our, our ministries of our church. And you'll be paired up with a group or teamed up with a group and you'll go walk around our property and you'll go stand in the nursery, if that's your assignment, and you'll stand there among the toys and cribs and diapers and all that stuff that's stored. Clean diapers because it's in the middle of the week. And, and you'll pray for that ministry, the, the, the nursery workers. You might pray specifically for them by name. And then you'll go maybe to the student ministry over in the other building to what we call the quad. And you might pray over there. Just We're just going to pray Tuesday and Wednesday night we do that. And then on Thursday night we gather together and we pray for our, our, our governing authorities, locally, statewide, national. We pray for the government. We ask God specifically to work there. And then Friday night we gather for a time of testimonies. That's that's what we do that week. Are, are you ready to pray earnestly, specifically? See, we're we're not about God bless the missionaries. Everybody can pray that prayer. Have you ever, ever prayed that prayer? God bless the missionaries. Well, he wants to and he will. We're about praying specifically for the missionaries by name. We're about praying for needs. Don't God bless our connection class teachers. No, we're gonna pray for those connection class teachers by name. To earnestly come before the Lord and to pray that he would move. Letter C, and I kind of mentioned this already. Will I seek God wholeheartedly? In that prayer, he says, come and humble yourselves, pray, and seek my face in verse 14. What does it mean to seek the face of God? It doesn't mean just to find a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall somewhere, that fair-skinned, European, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Right? Y'all, when we meet him face-to-face, it's going to blow our minds. (laughs) Because we have this image of what he looks like. To see God's face is not to look for that picture, but to to be in his presence. To seek him wholeheartedly. To come before him. To be transparent. What we will do tonight is what's called a sacred assembly or a solemn assembly. It's taken out of the pages of scripture. The children of Israel did this several times. And it's implied in the New Testament that as they came together they did this. Where the people come together and they're just quiet. We're going to have a A sign on the door that says, please enter in silence. That's going to be hard for some of us, isn't it? Did you hear yourselves this morning? That's a good thing. I love fellowship. I love the the celebration we have. But occasionally we set aside a time where we just enter in silence. And you'll sit and and we'll walk you through some scriptures. And some people from among you are going to come here and read some words from the word of God. And then we're going to pause and we're going to reflect. And we're going to say, God, speak to our hearts about that. We're going to have a time of confession where you can come in and kneel. We just call these steps the place of surrender, the altar. And you, can, and you can confess before the Lord, just you and him. We'll give you opportunity if you need to confess with someone, to, to ask God's forgiveness and repent. We're going we're to have a time where that whole service is seeking God wholeheartedly. And then we'll close with the Lord's Supper. We'll have tables up here, and you'll be able to come as an individual or with a group or several individuals and gather around that table and partake of the Lord's Supper as we seek him wholeheartedly that's a solemn assembly that sets the stage for the rest of the week don't miss it. it it has been the highlight of our week of prayer every year seeking god wholeheartedly but then we get to letter d letter d wasn't a good letter when i was in school i saw that one on my report card a lot so maybe as i read letter d it it, it some of that's still in my mind cuz i don't like this part Am I willing to repent of my sin? You know what repentance is? Look, look at David's, or, or, uh, God's explanation of Solomon here. In verse 14, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their evil ways. That's the definition of repentance. Repentance is I realize God's right and I'm wrong. Repentance says, God, you've spoken of my heart, about that issue, and I'm going to stop, whether it's a habit or a relationship that's not right or an attitude, whether it's my thought life, whether it's an action I'm doing. I'm willing to say, God, you're right and I'm wrong, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to run to you. You know what a lot of us do? We come to that place where God convicts us of sin, and we say that's wrong, and we kind of leave one foot there. God, I'm inching my way over to you. Or some of us might say, God, I'm wrong, and I'm coming your way, God. Right? It's like learning to swim. You don't want to get too far from the edge. That's not repentance. Repentance is you just take off running to God. Now, that's a good part, but it's not easy. That's why I said it's, it's tough to say this, because repentance means I have to make some changes in my life. I confess to him that he's right and I'm wrong, and I've got to make it right. That's what repentance is. See, God looks at sin seriously. In the book of Acts, in the early church, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I think it's Acts chapter five. Where they brought an offering to the early church, the leaders of the church there, and pretended like it was really everything they had to give, and it wasn't. And they were really being hypocrites and superficial. And Ananias dropped dead, and then his wife came in, and she was carried out dead. God, God was trying to show the early church it's wrong to be hypocrites. See, God judges sin. He doesn't look at it lightly. That's why we have this time of coming together every year to say, God, just shine your spotlight on me. Can you answer yes to those four questions? If you can, then maybe you're ready for God to do something. Calculate the cost. Don't just show up. God bless us, bless our church. We love our church, God bless our church, amen. It's More than that, it's crying out to God with a whole heart. I need to move on. Number two, I need to demonstrate repentance. Let's turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, demonstrate repentance. This is the passage of scripture when David is confronted with his sin of immorality, adultery with Bathsheba. And then his lie to cover that up, and then his murder of her husband to cover that up. And the prophet Nathan confronts David face to face and says, you're wrong, and David's broken and repentant. Now, I want you to listen for David's heart as I read this passage. Because this is his prayer, this is his heart attitude when confronted with sin. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. Just in those two verses, he's used three words for the word sin. Rebellion, guilt, sin. He's saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. David was aware that he was wrong. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely, you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Listen to verse seven. David says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The hyssop branch was what was used In the Old Testament, remember the story of the Exodus when the children of Israel were to to kill the Passover lamb and take the blood of that lamb and they would dip it in hyssop and place it on the doorpost where the blood would be applied. David is prophetically looking forward to the Messiah who will be the ultimate fulfillment of that, the ultimate blood applied to our lives that causes God to, to say, I see the righteousness of Christ and pass over our sin. David says, do that to me. Cleanse my heart. Make me whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Boy, there's a picture of a broken man. Not, I'm sorry I got caught, but God, my bones are crushed. Turn your face away from my sins. Blot out all my guilt. God, I can't stand the fact that I've offended you, is what David's saying. And then listen to verse 10. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Word of God. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Just a word of explanation. David had to pray, God, don't let your spirit leave me. Because in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit rested on different individuals temporarily for different acts of ministry and and to do a work in their life. And then the Spirit of God would leave them. You read it all through the Old Testament. But at Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came to the church... When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, so we don't have to ever pray, God, don't take your spirit from me, because he resides within us. We might need to pray, God, don't let me lose the sense of your spirit. So then look at verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me. Give me a willing spirit, then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. From broken, crushed bones, from total conviction of sin, to crying out praises to God. That's why we can sing the way we sing, because this group up here has messed up. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That's why we sing the way we do. Verse 15, open, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit, God. You will not despise the broken and humbled heart. Here's what David says in his cry. God, it's about my heart. You've broken my heart. I am totally, completely convicted of my sin and I willingly repent to you. See, the very fact that David could write this prayer and pray this prayer demonstrates his repentance. Are you ready for that? Not just to have a meeting and show up and say, Pastor, church was good today. It ought to be. But to walk out of here saying, wow, God spoke to my heart today. Listen, folks, I came to know Christ. The event that triggered in my heart, I need that was when I sat in a church service with my parents and the pastor brought it. He brought it. He preached on the carnal Christian. And as we walked out that door, my mom and dad were in front of me and my mom stopped the pastor and looked him in the eye and I'm standing back watching, you know. She said, I didn't like that sermon one bit. Ooh, man. And you'd have to know my mom, she would say that. But the next words out of her mouth were, I didn't like it, but I needed it more than anything. And then I watched my parents' life change as God's grace transformed them. See, that's what we want when we leave this place. And I don't need a whole bunch of people parading by tell, telling me that, you know. But, but what I do want is for that to happen. Are you with me? God, I just didn't show up today. You showed up. And I had an open heart. And you spoke. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, you have the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Remember how when he came to his senses in the pigsty and he went running to his father to go back home in repentance and the, and the father goes to embrace him, he rehearses this speech that he's going to say to his dad. He's going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's his prayer And as he gets to his father, that's his cry. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Here's the the key. This is what David was saying. God, my sin didn't just mess up a bunch of people. My sin broke your heart. That's genuine repentance. Calculate the cost of crying out to God. Demonstrate repentance. And then anticipate God's activity. Number three. Are you all there? Because I am finally. Anticipate God's activity. Again, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our evil ways, the Bible says, God says this to them Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You want to change America? I do. It's not about politics. It's about the people of God becoming broken before God. God says, You want to heal your land? You repent of your sin. You people of God, be the people of God. Transformed lives, transform the culture. We blame the culture for being dark. That's what darkness does. See, the reason darkness is dark is because there's not enough light shining. Blame the light. That's, that's who God blames the light, us. God wants to move. He wants to respond. So letter A, God is waiting to respond. God is waiting to respond. His ears. I love verse 15. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. It's not that God's eyes are closed or his ears are covered up when we pray. He's speaking in the fact that he's going to be eagerly anticipating giving what we pray for. It's like a parent wanting to give their kids something. I would tell my kids, if you clean up your room, we'll go to Dairy Queen and get ice cream. And I might have said, if your rooms are clean by noon, we'll go get ice cream. And as a parent, I'm waiting for them to clean their room. Why, because I want the room clean? Well, yeah, but I can hardly wait to take them to get ice cream. It's treat time. And so I'm watching my clock and I'm encouraging them and and they're not through cleaning their room and I want them to clean the room because as a parent, as as their earthly father, I want to shower that blessing on them. I can hardly wait for them to finish cleaning the room because we're going to have a good time at Dairy Queen. Folks, that is just a small part of what our heavenly father desires for us. He is saying, I can hardly wait for you to get right. I can hardly wait for you to confess your sin, to repent and to turn back to me, people of God. It's talking to Christians, I can hardly wait for that because I have blessings to pour out on you. Kevin's paraphrase, we're going to Dairy Queen. God says, I want to do in your midst what only I can do. I'm just waiting on you. God's waiting to respond. And he's given, Let her be. he's given clean vessels through which he can do his work. Clean vessels through which he can do his work. God could do all of this without me. God could do all of this without you. But he is so good. He says, Kevin, I'm going to let you get on this. People ask me about pastoring Coastal Oaks Church and I say, I am along for the ride. Aren't you supposed to be their leader? Well, yeah, but I'm along for the ride because God's up to something and I just want to get in on it. That's what God wants to do. He is saying, I want to do something in your community, in your family, in your life, in your world. I want to do it. I'm waiting on you. Because I can't work through a dirty vessel. I choose not to, in essence, is what God is saying. He wants clean, empty, available people. He's waiting. He's waiting. In Psalm 51, David says, Lord, open my lips and I'll sing your praises when I'm repentant and come before you in brokenness. God, then I'm gonna respond to inobedience and you can use me. And lastly, here's the outcome. People will be saved. People will be saved. In Psalm 51, David says, then will I teach the wicked evil your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. That's what God wants to do. He wants to save your neighbor. He wants to save your family member. He wants to get a hold of you so that he can do a work that only he can do. Billy Hanks says, telling people to witness is like standing in front of a river and telling the river to flow. It's going to do it anyway. I don't need to drum and beat you over the head that you need to be sharing Christ. I'll tell you what, what I need to tell you is what the word of God says is what you need to do is be in right relationship with him and the the outcome, the byproduct is gonna be people being saved. Folks, if God had us, I'm talking to the people of God now, followers of Christ. If God had us totally yielded, completely committed to him, completely surrendered to be used by him, clean vessels for him to work, you couldn't keep people out of this place. We could have five worship services and they'd all be this full. Why? Because the Bible says when God moves and God has us, he works through us. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's waiting for. This week, we're going to gather and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray expectantly for God to do something. And it's not one of those name it, claim it, you know, blab it, grab it things. God, I'm claiming your promise you have to do this. It's God, here I am, I'm broken. That's all I'm here for. God, I just want to pour myself out before you and you do what only you can do and that's do a work. 30-something years ago when I was a single, before I met Kelly, well, it's actually when I knew Kelly, but we weren't married yet. We had about eight or 10 single adults gathering for Bible study on Sunday morning and God started to stir in our hearts. By the way, out of that eight or 10 group, right now I believe almost all of them are in ministry full time. So God was doing a unique thing. But he put this thing on our hearts that we needed to reach our community for Christ because all of us lived in different apartment complexes in Houston, Texas, surrounded by all these young single adults who were coming there to, for the streets paved with gold, they told everybody back in the 70s. And we wanted to reach him, so we prayed, and, and one Saturday night, we just became burdened that God just wanted to do something so great that we just became sold out. We said, God, we're here, we're clean, we're empty, we're available, we're doing exactly what we talked about today. And we prayed that night, God, you bring them here. If you bring them here, we'll love on them, and we'll share Christ with them. And We usually set up eight or 10 chairs. This, this week, we set up 30 or 40 chairs. We had the half-fellowship hall was ours. And we believed God was going to do something incredible. That morning, we got there Sunday morning, the doors of the church opened up, and the doors opened, and people we had never seen before began to flood into that building. What an exciting thing to be able to look him in the eye and say, I know why you're here. I didn't say that, but I knew it. God brought them. We filled that room up. God started a revival with a handful of people who said, God, we want you to have us. Does he have you? That's my question this morning. You can ask all these questions in the outline, but the number one question is, does he have you? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior? Have you by faith said, God, you're God and I'm not? Starting point. God, I believe that you sent your one one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me to pay the price for my sins, because I can't pay them. And then by faith, willingly, have you invited Christ into your life to be Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sin? And have you repented of your sin? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So, number one, does God have you? Have you given your life to Christ as Savior? If you haven't, this is the day to do it. In just a minute, we're going to sing a couple of choruses of some hymns, and we're going to invite you to come and give your life to Christ. But I want to ask the same question to those of you who are Christ followers Does God have you? Well, yeah, pastor, I gave my heart to Christ. I'm I'm going to heaven, I know that. Yeah, but does he have you? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart today? Who's calling the shots in your life today? Who has control of your checkbook today? Who has control of your thought life? Does he have you? If not, he wants to. Wouldn't it be great to start this week off and not even wait for tonight, but to be on our knees before God saying, God, here we are. We're giving ourselves to you once again. We're cleaning, we're cleaning house right now. Let's pray.